who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Even hardened genre fans will find themselves whimpering at each new revelation. Publishers Weekly. The Infected Trilogy is an unabridged three-season audio fiction series from number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Infected is a marvel of gonzo in-your-face up-to-the-minute terror. Lincoln Child, New York Times bestselling author of Relic and the Pendergrass series. 88 episodes, 53 hours of horror are free and available now wherever you listen to podcasts. Realm Presents Remade, Season 1, Episode 7. The train rocketed through the dark landscape, away from the bloodthirsty caretakers, away from camp, away from Jingwei and Wesley. Nevea couldn't stop replaying what had happened over and over again in her mind. Wesley ripped to shreds as the caretaker shrieked in machine anger. The sudden violence of Jingwei's death at the hands of the firing squad. Hey, am I talking to myself here? What the hell is wrong with you people? The cheerleader's voice pierced the loop of carnage, bringing Nevea back to the here and now of the train. The new girl had been talking pretty much nonstop since they'd boarded a few minutes earlier but Nevaeh hadn't caught more than a word or two. No one else seemed to be in any condition to hold a conversation. It sounded like the lack of response was starting to piss New Girl off, but it was hard to care when people had just died. Hiram sat next to Nevaeh with his face mashed into her shoulder, wetting the sleeve of her jumpsuit. Not that she cared about that, either. It tore his arms off. Why did it do that? He asked in a small voice. I don't know said Nevaeh. She rested her cheek on the top of his head, and would have probably stayed there crying for a while if the cheerleader hadn't leaned down toward them. What are you talking about? She said, enunciating like they might all be stupid instead of traumatized. Hiram shrank away from the stranger, and Nevaeh put her arms around him protectively. She wanted to scream, but that wasn't going to help anything. Instead, she summoned up every ounce of patience she had left. Calm down. I'll tell you what happened, she said. But before she could get any further, the train rocketed over a bump, and Cole yelped in pain. Hiram jerked at the sound, sobbing in fear and grief, and clutched at her with panicky strength. He wasn't the only one who cried out, either. 
people started shouting out names of missing companions, as if that might make them appear. Nevea would have tried to help them, but Hiram wouldn't release his death grip on her torso. The wave of renewed tears around her told her everything she needed to know, however. Those kids were gone. Had they been shot by the firing squad like Jingwei? Dismembered like Wesley? Or were they still out there, hiding from the caretakers, wondering where everyone had gone? Next to Amelia, Holden was muttering to himself. His face held a mixture of grief, anger, sorrow, and confusion that was all too familiar to anyone who had spent much time around the dying. Thomas, Jingwei, Wesley, he said. All the others, too many. Yeah, Nevea blinked back tears. Are you okay? It was a stupid question, but what else could she say? There were no words, not even from the expert. If there was a right thing to say after a death, she should know it after all the time she'd spent in the hospital. But she had nothing. He didn't even seem to notice. I've had it, he said. This ends now. How? We organize or we die. Don't you see? This isn't going to stop just because we want it to. He stiffened his shoulders. Okay, we need to know who we have left. Nevea shook her head helplessly. I haven't counted. I'm not sure I want to. The new girl let out a sigh of impatience. Get it over with already. The train shook and bounced over the uneven track, and Cole cried out again. Holden swallowed. He looked all pale-faced and wide-eyed, like he'd seen a ghost, but his jaw clenched in determination. I'm going to do a head count, then, he said. Are you okay? She asked again, even though she knew it was a silly question. She put her hand on his shoulder and felt its trembling. Doesn't really matter, does it? Somebody's got to do something. Or we'll get picked off one by one until nobody's left. I'm somebody, right? I've got to try. He started to pull away, but she held on tight with the urge to soothe, to say something that he could cling to. This felt like one of the moments in her favorite TV shows. A dramatic turning point where relationships were forged. After what had happened at the camp, she didn't want to feel alone. What? He demanded. Is there something wrong? No, it's just... You're a really good person, Holden. The words tumbled awkwardly from her mouth. She never would have made it as a leading lady in a TV drama. That was for girls like Saya, poised girls who didn't get nervous when people paid attention. But Holden offered her the barest of smiles, and his tremors eased. Thanks, he said. I can check on the injured. Thank you, he repeated. Holden put a hand on her shoulder which made her shake off Hiram's desperate grip and stand up. Out from under his hand. She didn't want to be taken care of anymore. It's no big deal, she shrugged. Holden gave her a faint, worn smile before he walked away, and Nevea's eyes flicked to Saya, who huddled in the corner of her seat like she was trying to disappear. Saya, who didn't realize what she had when Nevea would have killed for it. Amid all this death, Nevea thought it would be nice to know that someone kind like Holden loved her. That if she had to die again, it wouldn't be alone. That would have been nice, but she had work to do. She stood up and tried to figure out where to start. Cole was the obvious choice, but perhaps someone else had gotten badly hurt and she hadn't noticed. Oh, terrific, 
muttered the new girl. We'll just wait then. It's not like we have no fucking clue what's going on. Nevaeh bit off an angry retort. It wasn't the new kid's fault that they'd stumbled into the aftermath of a massacre. But it felt like they'd usurped seats on the train that didn't belong to them. In Jingwei's space sat an angry girl in a cheerleader uniform. In Wesley's was a sandy-haired boy who probably got mistaken for Teddy from the reality show all the time. She'd watched the show a few times, but she couldn't remember the name. Something to do with football, maybe. He was even wearing a football uniform, for God's sake, so maybe that's what made her think of it. For a split second, Nevaeh mused that he was an improvement over Wesley, and then a wave of shame washed over her. What was wrong with her, that she'd think such a thing? Maybe Wesley hadn't been her favorite person, but what kind of asshole thinks ill of the dead just a few hours after seeing them ripped to pieces? She slapped herself across the face with firm deliberation. Her cheeks stung. No one seemed to notice except for the angry cheerleader, who looked at her from across the aisle like she was completely nuts. Honestly, the cheerleader said to the Teddy lookalike, I'm beginning to think that we were better off on the set. These people are crazy. Nevea couldn't blame her for the label. The whole mess felt pretty nuts when you got down to it. I'm sorry, she said to them. Her voice was thick with phlegm, and she cleared her throat against it. Right before we got on the train, we lost some of our friends. The girl eyed her suspiciously, but the teddy lookalike waved a hand. No problem, he said. We'll wait. It's not like we're going anywhere. Except the train is going somewhere, which means we are too. So I guess that was a lie. He smiled the kind of smile Nevea couldn't keep from returning. What do you mean you lost them? Asked the girl, her brows furrowed. They died, Nevaeh said simply. The Teddy lookalike frowned. How did... Nevaeh cut him off before he could get too far. Not here, she said. I don't want to upset everybody, and people are hurt. I can't talk now. I need to help them. But she hovered anyway. It was cruel to leave them in the dark like this. What if they'd been attacked by caretakers too? And if the two newbies had died before they'd been brought to this place, like Nevea believed they all had, they'd probably been traumatized by that. How about we help you? said the Teddy lookalike. I'd make a hot male nurse, don't you think? And then you can fill us in. Maybe we can explore the train some more. There's a door in the front that we can't open. That would be great, Nevea replied, relieved. She had no idea what to say about the hot nurse part so she ignored it as best as she could, although she knew her cheeks were flushing. The girl looked a little less convinced, but she nodded, and that would have to be enough. Thanks, I'm Nevea. You? asked Nevea. I'm Inez, and this is Teddy. The girl jerked her finger in his direction. Nevea snorted. That's funny, like the reality show guy? I was thinking you look like him. Well, yeah said Teddy. I'm... But Inez cut him off before he could get very far. She wasn't rude about it or anything, and she put a hand on his arm as if to soften the blow of her words. Novea wasn't sure what to make of it, but she was just too exhausted, mentally and physically, to care. Now, now, showboat, she said. You'll have to dazzle us later. Cool, he replied, chill. Thanks, said Novea. What kind of resources do we have? 
We've got a few people who are hurt. The three of them, Nevea, Inez, and Teddy, quickly worked their way through the train. Most of the injuries were minor, which was a fortunate thing, since Nevea's makeshift first aid kit, with its ripped jumpsuit bandages, vine tourniquets, and herb sachets had been left behind. The train didn't have a kit that they could find. They made do with what they had for the more extensive injuries. Nevea reset the splint around Cole's leg, which was badly swollen from all the exertion, and she used water from her mostly empty canteen to wash out the nasty cut on Sunita's shoulder, wishing she had the equipment to stitch it up. Sebastian's arm had been grazed by one of the shots from the firing squad, and she ripped strips off her already short sleeves to wrap it up. If she was being honest with herself, the rudimentary first aid probably wasn't going to make much difference. Maybe she could make them a little more comfortable, but that did nothing for the tears and the shakes. But at least they knew they weren't alone. At least they knew she cared. Sometimes that was all you could do. Inez and Teddy didn't debate over what needed to be done, or get upset when Nevea shot down their suggestions. They didn't expect her to do everything for them, or treat her like she was made of broken glass. They were Nevea's kind of people. The ease with which they worked together made her realize how bad things really had been at the camp. Some people, like Jingwei, had found their niche and filled it, but they were in the minority. The others had needed a leader to spur them to action, and they'd never managed to find one. It was even more important now that they knew how dangerous the caretakers were. They needed to be ready for whatever was at the other end of the tracks. Because who knew if they were hurtling towards safety or not? Is that everyone? asked Inez, wiping her forehead. I think so. They'd approached everyone anyway. Loki, Umta, and Alex had brushed them off, and May and Sebastian had already fallen into a fitful sleep in their seats, but everyone else had been tended to. It's getting late, Nevea said. Are you guys ready to turn in? The next car down was full of beds. She'd made sure Umta and Cole were settled comfortably, but she wasn't sure she'd ever be able to sleep again. She couldn't stop worrying. What if the caretakers leapt on the train and pulled the doors open? And speaking of doors, hadn't Teddy mentioned a stuck one on the train? What kind of mechanical horrors could it be hiding? Nevea could imagine a lot. Not me, said Teddy. I could go all night. You, Inez said, and Teddy laughed. Nevea was too wrapped up in her concern to join the banter. Maybe we should give everyone something to drink and see if they can sleep. My water bottle's dry, though. I'll ask Holden. She trailed off. She'd been too busy to notice that Holden's headcount plan hadn't gotten off to a good start. Saya had interrupted him before he'd gone very far, and they'd apparently been arguing for the past half hour. Look, I know you're upset. You don't have to help. I was just asking, he was saying to her. Upset? She sputtered. We've been taken from our homes and shot at by robots. I'm more than just upset. This is the afterlife, put in Hiram with dogged determination. Then his face fell. And it's not a very good one either. Holden held his hands up, but that wasn't enough to stem the argument. Nevea would have told him not to bother if she'd had the opportunity. They needed to blow off steam after what had happened, that was all. Will you shut up about the afterlife? demanded Saya. Robot killers do not belong in the afterlife. There should be harps and celestial harmonies and... She trailed off. Then she burst into tears. Immediately, Holden put his arms around her, 
but this time, instead of pushing him away, she sagged against him. You had a suggestion, Nevea? said Inez, deliberately turning her back on the drama. Out with it already. I was going to ask Holden. Girl, you don't need Holden's permission for anything. You want water? We've got water. Teddy cleared his throat. See this thing with all the buttons? He asked, gesturing like a game show attendant. When you push them, it delivers water and a variety of tasty snacks. The only way it could be better is if they were delivered by a robot butler. Robot butler? Nevaeh winced. It sounded dangerous to her. Teddy, don't be silly, said Inez, punching him in the shoulder. He held up his hands as if helpless, which was annoying on most people, but somehow he managed to make it look charming. Hey, if I was going to design a dream train, it would have a robot butler. I don't see what's wrong with that. Ignore the cockwaffle, please. Inez turned her attention to the panel. Its buttons were bright red, with spidery-looking pictograms beneath each one. None of the pictograms looked anything like a glass of water. Underneath the row of buttons sat what looked like a hatch with a milky, semi-translucent door. This one in the top is water, and this one tastes like bland oatmeal, and that one should never, ever be pushed. She shuddered, pointing to a button in the bottom row. Why not? asked Nevea, imagining all kinds of horrors. Maybe a miniaturized caretaker would pop out and attack them. Or even worse. For the first time since they'd boarded the train, she thought about their situation. Someone had to be running the train, and it didn't seem like Teddy and Inez were doing it. But if not them, then who? What if it was caretakers? What if they were being herded toward another group of them? Under different circumstances, that would have seemed melodramatic. But Nevaeh was starting to think that maybe she wasn't being dramatic enough. What does that button do? She demanded. Is it dangerous? It tastes like rotten eggs and smells even worse, said Teddy. Don't push it, please. I beg you. Are you hungry? We should try one of the others that we haven't pushed yet, said Inez. I don't know, said Nevea. What if we stop the train on accident and... A picture rose in her mind, unbidden. Wesley, limp and cold on the ground. Caretakers swarming the stalled train. Or even worse. Suddenly, she wanted to vomit. Let's just get her the water, Inez, said Teddy. He reached over Nevea's shoulder and pressed the leftmost button. She tensed, but the only result was a whirring sound, and through the cloudy glass, she could see the machinery go to work. Her dad's office had used a 3D printer for some of their construction models, and this machine seemed to work a lot like that. As they watched, it printed out what looked like a paper cup, which filled with water. Then the hatch slid open. See? Nothing to worry about. Also, I'm parched. Teddy took the cup, draining it in one long series of practiced gulps. Then he winced. I hate water. Inez scoffed. How can you hate water? Nevea left them to their banter and began handing out the cups. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. After the drinks were dispensed, Inez marched over to Nevea, pulled at her arms, and declared, I think I've been patient enough. What happened to you? And why do you all look like escaped convicts in matching jumpsuits? Nevea tried to imagine someone like Hiram breaking the law and getting sent off to juvie, but it was awfully hard to believe of a kid who thought shut up was a bad word. She snorted and laughed all at once, and then a few tears slipped out. She didn't wipe them away. As she told the story of how they'd come down the stalk, set up camp, and gotten attacked by the caretakers. You mean the cameras? asked Inez. She didn't look disbelieving, not exactly, but she seemed puzzled. They don't hurt anybody. All they did was record our every move and annoy the hell out of us. They might forcibly dress you in ridiculous clothing, not at all suited for the climate, but otherwise they're harmless. I don't know, Teddy said thoughtfully. If I was going to imagine up a world full of robots, I'd probably make all kinds. Camera robots, killer robots, sexy robots. Otherwise, it would get pretty boring, right? Nevea shook her head. I can't explain it. I remember waking up, and they fixed me after I died. Cancer. I know I died. And then I woke up here. And at first, the caretakers took care of me. Then we set up camp, and then... Something changed. I know it sounds crazy, but they tried to kill us. You saw it yourself. No, we didn't, Inez said. No murderous caretakers on this train. Nevea gritted her teeth in exasperation. Well, you saw the injuries. We certainly didn't do all that to one another. That's a good point, said Teddy. Okay, so you think you're dead. 
Inez didn't even try to keep the skepticism out of her voice. Are you the only zombie? Or are the others walking dead too? Hey, that's not nice. You're supposed to be part of my good side, remember? Teddy rumbled. I know, I know. Inez sighed. I'm sorry, Nevea. I woke up in my underwear with this dick brain, and it's been a barrel of fun ever since. It's okay. Then Nevea blinked. Wait, did you say you woke up in your underwear? Actually, it wasn't even mine, Inez said, deadpan. So what's next? Nevea, are you going to sleep? I'm afraid to sleep, said Nevea. Sometimes the things you dread the most turn out to not be so bad after all, Teddy said, inexplicably smiling at Inez. You'll never know until you try. Inez didn't seem like much of a blusher, but she did then. Whatever passed between them was private, and Nevea didn't want to pry. But she couldn't help but bask in it a little. After all the fear and anger and drama of camp, here were two people who genuinely liked each other. Two peas in a pod, just like she'd been with her dad. She swallowed a lump in her throat. We could show you around if you want, offered Teddy. I'm thinking that stuck door might lead to the cockpit, or whatever it's called on a train. Maybe you can figure it out. I don't know what it's called either, but I could try to help, said Nevea. Sweet, Teddy said, winking. And I want to hear more about what happened to you guys later, Nevea said. No offense, but I'm not sure if I should believe your camera story. Cheerleaders aren't exactly the most reliable witnesses. Inez threw her hands in the air. I just told you. She trailed off. Nevea had always been a terrible liar. Every time she and Dad had played a bluffing game, she'd lost miserably. Now, she was sure that her mortification was practically written on her face with a sharpie. Sorry, Inez. I was just trying to make a joke, to hide the fact that I'm scared enough to pee right now. Emotions flitted across Inez's face. Anger, amusement, and finally a sort of glee. You better be able to take it as well as you dish it out, she said. Because I'll retaliate. Nevea hid her eyes, only half acting. No amount of banter could change the reality of their situation. It didn't change what had happened at camp, and it wouldn't protect them at their destination. She only hoped she was strong enough to face whatever would come next. Nevea, get on the train, Mama ordered, impatience in her voice. There wasn't much choice in the matter. Mama boarded the silver monstrosity without a single look back. It was either follow or be left behind. Nevea had just gotten out of the hospital. She could barely walk. She had no money. And it wasn't like she was scared of trains. They reminded her of endless rounds of ticket to ride with her dad. She'd wanted nothing more than to be out of the hospital. But now that it had happened, she changed her mind. If she was being honest, she had to admit that she didn't want to be here. She wanted to be back in her hospital bed in her lucky shamrock pajamas. But she couldn't tell that to Mama, who had so carefully researched the crystal therapist they were going to visit. Mama was so sure that this new treatment would work, and she'd been so angry and despondent lately. It would be nice to see her happy. Nevea couldn't ruin that possibility. She got on the train. Mama led her to an empty area and put her in a window seat. Here, sweetheart, she said. You sit by the window, away from all these plague vectors. It wouldn't do for you to catch pneumonia and ruin your first crystal session with Dr. Morningstar. 
Nevaeh wanted the window seat anyway, so she sat right down without complaint. The hospital mask Mama had insisted she wear was dreadfully uncomfortable, but she knew Mama would never permit her to take it off, so she didn't bother asking. Instead, she looked out at the crowd of people on the platform, resting her forehead against the cool glass. Don't do that, exclaimed Mama. I'm sure there are germs crawling all over that thing. Nevaeh's response was automatic. I'm sorry, Mama. Think, Nevaeh. You've got to take some responsibility for your own recovery. Nevaeh nodded, looking out at the platform from a safe distance now. There was so much to see after such a long time spent in the hospital. Nothing had changed, really, but it felt new and interesting anyway. As an added bonus, it distracted her from the itchy mask. She sighed, trying to settle it into a more comfortable position on her face. What is it now? demanded Mama. Nothing. But it was too late. The smallest thing could set Mama off, turning her from the customary kind, graceful Mama into a vengeful god. Nevaeh tried to anticipate the danger zones, and sometimes she managed. Not this time. Mama stood up, her voice carrying through the car of still boarding passengers. Sometimes I don't know why I try, she declared. No one appreciates it, and it's a losing battle. I just want to make you better. Why does everyone act like it's a crime? I don't think it's a crime, Mama, honest. Then maybe you should start acting like it, instead of like I'm inconveniencing you by trying to save your life. Mama stared down at her for a long moment, tears in her eyes. Then she turned away, saying, I'm going to get a drink from the bar and try to calm myself down. Stay here. Mama stalked off, and Nevea slumped in her seat. She felt awful. Mama was right. She'd been trying so hard to make the best choices for her daughter. To advocate for her. And Nevea repaid it by getting annoyed with her, acting like it wasn't serious. If she looked at it like that, she got pretty frustrated with herself. After all she'd done for Nevea, Mama deserved to be treated better. There was just one problem. Try as she might, Nevea couldn't believe in this crystal therapy stuff. She belonged in the hospital. The treatments had been hard, but it felt like they were working, and she hadn't wanted to stop. Daddy had opposed terminating them. The doctors had said it was a mistake. She agreed. This felt like a mistake. She didn't want to go. But how could you say that to someone who tried so hard and cared so much? She sat there agonizing over it until Mama came back. Mama's eyes were rimmed with red, but her chin was held high. She sat down next to Nevaeh and said, I brought you a Gatorade, fruit punch. Nevaeh took the plastic bottle and said, My favorite, thanks, Mama. She took a drink and tried to force the words out. All she had to do was ask Mama to take her back. Tell her that she didn't want the crystal therapy. Explain that she really appreciated everything her mother had done for her, and that she really did notice it all. But she had to choose what was right for her. She opened her mouth behind the itchy mask, closed it again. Then the train began to rumble out of the station, and it was too late to speak up, even if she could have found the words to do it. She just hoped she was strong enough to endure whatever was to come. The next train car up toward the cockpit, or whatever it was called, took Nevaeh completely by surprise. 
The two cars she'd already seen had seemed pretty normal, except for the 3D printer slash food dispenser thing. They reminded her of that Amtrak passenger train she took with Mama to see her specialists. She hadn't really looked over the exterior of this train when they'd boarded. Survival had been more pressing at that point. But it fit with what she remembered. The shiny metal exterior, rows of windows, a sliding door set into the wall. The inside of the car was familiar too, with rows of bench seats and a luggage rack up top. A cramped bathroom with blue water in the toilet. And while she'd never been on a sleeping car, that part of this train seemed normal enough too. The bunks folded out of the wall, and you could draw little curtains around them for privacy. No blankets, but no one had complained. At least, not where Nevea could hear them. But this car took her aback after the bland familiarity of the others. It looked like someone had tried to cram the contents of a house into a train car, without much understanding of what pieces went together. A pair of dining chairs were bolted to the floor next to a sleeping bunk. Three tables sat lumped together in one corner, without any room to maneuver between them. A sofa sat against another wall, facing the wrong way. And the furniture itself was wrong. The bed was the right shape, but it had the hard, glossy sheen of plastic, and the so-called pillow looked like it was molded into the bunk itself. The lamp atop the tallest table had the right basic shape, but the cord was a solid, immobile piece of plastic. On the walls, someone had attempted to mimic the look of artwork by painting over the windows of the train. But the paintings were like the furniture. Attempts at familiar things, warped almost beyond recognition. Nevea took one look at a picture of what she thought was supposed to be a playground, but instead looked a little more like a medieval torture device, and averted her eyes. Isn't this freaky? asked Inez. She drifted into the room, looking around with delight, while Teddy and Nevea still hovered at the door. Check this out! She kicked at the bunk, producing a hollow clunking sound. Does this or does this not look like a Barbie bed? You played with Barbies? Nevea couldn't keep the skepticism out of her voice. It was hard to imagine Inez, with her attitude and snappy remarks, playing dress-up. I do have younger sisters, said Inez. Then she lay down on the plastic bed and tried to get comfortable. Finally, she sat up, wrinkling her nose. As I imagined, it's like trying to sleep on a giant Lego. Lumps in all the wrong places. Hard lumps. I like lumps said Teddy, but the quip came out weak, and his cheeks were pale. He looked weirded out by this train car, and Nevea empathized all too well. Who do you think did this? she asked. But honestly, she didn't want to know. This train car gave her a serious case of the creeps. It took things that should have been familiar and comforting, and made them into funhouse exhibits. She half expected a scary clown to pop out from behind the sofa at any moment and start chasing them around the car with an axe. The wilderness around camp had been intimidating and dangerous, but she'd take that over the unhinged quality of the misshapen furniture any day. Inez continued to explore the strange room, but Teddy seemed uncomfortable for the first time since she'd met him. He stared down at his shoes with fixed determination, and looked a little green about the gills. Nevea took his hand and gave it a squeeze. The gesture was just as much for her comfort as it was for his. Can we get out of here? She asked. This place gives me the creeps. Me too, said Teddy. He seemed grateful to have an excuse to leave, and towed her toward the door to the next car without wasting a second. Should we keep going? 
see if Nevea can figure out how to get into the cockpit? I've never thought of it before, but I've just realized that the word cockpit is gross, and I'm never saying it again, said Inez. Teddy snorted, pushing on the door, but it didn't budge. There was no handle or window or anything. There was a panel set into the wall beside the door, and after a moment's consideration, Nevea put her hand on it. Nothing happened. No lights or anything. It was broken. Well, that's a wash, said Nevea, secretly relieved. I wish Jingwei were here. She'd know how to open this. Jing what? asked Inez. Oh, she, um, she liked to build things. We lost her right before we got on the train. I wish she were here. Nevea's stomach twisted with guilt. Jingwei would have glanced at the door and known exactly what to do. Nevea was useless in comparison. Inez took one look at the stricken expression on Nevea's face and shuffled her feet awkwardly. This time, Teddy didn't intervene with a goofy comment or kind word. He was too busy staring at the weird furniture and looking just as upset as Nevea felt. Guess we'll have to go back to the other car. I could really use some of that gruel before I hit the sack anyway. Teddy clapped his hands together, looking studiously at the floor. Mmm, gruel. Then he rushed through the furniture car like he was being chased by killer caretakers. Nevea and Inez exchanged a concerned glance and followed, but he seemed better once he got out of that weird train car and had something to eat. Nevea thought he was probably as disconcerted by the surreal furniture as she was. It was endearing and a big, tough guy like that. A little strange, yeah, but cute. Nevea had hoped that a decent night's sleep in actual beds might help with the general morale of the group, but it didn't happen. Then again, based on the noise in the sleeping car, none of them found easy rest. There were too many empty bunks, too many missing faces. Eleven by Holden's count. When people finally dozed off, they cried and whimpered, tossed and turned. Even Alex cried out in the darkness, and that guy never said a word if he could help it. Nevea couldn't stand it. As the sky began to leak rays of sunlight, she got up and quietly let herself into the other car. No one else was up yet, so she got herself a glass of water and a bowl of slop and sat quietly, watching the landscape rush by. The train moved so fast that anything right next to the tracks was a blur of green and brown, difficult to focus on. But farther out, she could see trees and rocks and grass. They'd left the warm jungle climate for sure. Here, it was either inching toward or away from winter. The grass was patchy, the trees bordered on bare. Once, she saw a tall spire in the far-off distance that might have been a skyscraper, or maybe one of those space elevators, but the view was quickly blocked by a series of hills. It was a peaceful landscape, but Nevea felt far from at peace herself. Her mind kept returning to the locked door of the cockpit. No. Cab, that was the right word for it. The broken hand scanner felt ominous. Anything could be behind that door. Someone or something had to be driving the train. And just because the door couldn't be opened from this side didn't mean it couldn't be opened from the other one. Before long, the rest of the crew began to trickle out of the sleeping car, and Nevea greeted them with relief. She distracted herself from the endless worries by handing out bowls of oatmeal-like slop in a gesture of excessive pampering that probably would have made May really angry if she'd gotten out of her bunk yet. 
Nevea gave Hiram a bowl, which he mournfully but dutifully began to eat. She skipped Amelia, who was still dozing in her seat. The girl had never even made it to a bed as far as Nevea could tell. Then she asked Loki, again, if he was sure he didn't want anything. He'd turned her down the first time, but he might be hungry now that he'd had a chance to wake up. He wasn't. I said I don't want any, he snapped. He sat hunched near the only outside exit, keeping watch, he'd said. As if he'd be able to do anything other than die first, if caretakers dropped into his lap. But he wasn't about to point that out. If you want to keep watch, you need your energy, she pointed out reasonably. Loki sneered at her. Eat this, he mimicked. Drink that. I hate to break it to you, but you're not my mother. My mother is dead. They're all dead. And no amount of eating or drinking or fussing is going to bring them back. So stop wasting your breath. God, you make me sick. That's enough, Holden interrupted. Nevaeh's done nothing but try to help from day one, and you're shoving it in her face? What's wrong with you? Nevaeh looked at Holden worriedly as he stalked over to confront Loki. His hair stood up in cockeyed corkscrews, and his face was patchy with stubble. He'd struck her as a sensitive and quiet kind of guy, one you might not have noticed if you weren't stuck with him on a deserted robot world. For the first time since she'd met him, he seemed to be spoiling for a fight. It didn't sit well on him. What's wrong with me? exclaimed Loki. Everything. Wesley got torn into bits, and Jingwei got shot, and who knows what happened to the others. But here we all are like nice little cattle, waiting for the train to take us to the next slaughter. Well, I've got news for you. I'm not going down without a fight. Oh, and picking a fight will help fix things. Great idea. Holden couldn't have sounded more scornful. Loki went white, and then red, and then tense, like he couldn't decide whether to cry or yell or punch someone. Everyone else, at least the ones who'd managed to get out of bed, watched with wide, shocked eyes. If they'd been home or at school, maybe someone would have been recording the argument with a cell phone, hoping for a little action. Teachers would be waiting through the crowd, en route to break the whole thing up. Civilization formed a safety net. But they didn't have that here, and Nevea was worried about what might happen if the argument went on much longer. Hey, it's okay, she began tentatively. Shut up, yelled Loki. Just shut the hell up already. She couldn't help it. She took in a sharp, shocked breath, and then let out a sound that was suspiciously like a sob. It wasn't Loki's anger that got to her. She was familiar with the emotional roller coaster of mourning, but she still suspected, deep down, that he was right. That she should shut up and stop all this useless nonsense. That she was like her mama, pushing help onto people who didn't want it. That everyone would be much happier if she'd been shot instead of Jingwei, who was useful, whereas all she did was fuss and stuff food in people's faces. That hurt. She didn't cry, but she was having a hard time putting her mask back into place. What are you, toddlers? Inez broke in. Then she stepped between the two boys and glared at them both in turn. You're upset? Fine. But if you take it out on someone smaller than you to prove what a big dick you've got, I'll throw you off the train myself. Got it? You. Loki gave her a skeptical once-over. Shut up, new girl. You couldn't even lift me. Yeah, but I could, Teddy put in. 
he stood up from his bench and moved to stand in solidarity with Inez. She's got a point, man. The fighting's not worth the effort, and it sure as hell isn't going to fix anything. Loki got right in Teddy's face. Loki was the shorter of the two, but he held himself with so much intense anger that Nevea expected Teddy to recoil from it. But instead, Teddy's face softened. We're both angry, man. I know, he said. I'm sorry. You don't know anything about me. Loki shoved Teddy then, and it seemed like a fight was inevitable, except that Teddy didn't rise to it. He just smiled a little and nodded, like he'd expected nothing less. Somehow, that undid Loki better than anything else could. After a confused moment when he seemed to wait for a punch that never came, he deliberately turned his back on all of them, muttering to himself. Nevea felt limp with relief as she went to the hatch to get herself another bowl of almost-but-not-quite oatmeal. What's his deal? asked Inez, following her. He's taking this really hard, that's all, said Nevea. Her hands were shaking, and she tried to hide it, but was pretty sure that Inez noticed. Want any more to eat? I'm good, thanks. But before Inez could move away, Gabe joined them. His expression was grave and serious. Hey, Nevea, you should watch it with Loki. You know, what with the gun and all, he said, pitching his voice low so they wouldn't be overheard. What? Inez was loud and sharp. Gabe hissed at her. Pipe down. I don't want to start another fight. I saw Loki shoot one of the caretakers at the camp. It looked like a tool gun that shoots rivets or something. I imagine he found it in the ruins. Ruins? asked Inez. Near where we made camp before the attack, said Gabe. I didn't realize he had it until he used it on the caretaker. Loki wouldn't shoot any of us, said Nevea. Gabe shrugged. I'm not saying he would. I'm just saying that the guy's upset and scared and a little hot-headed. I don't want any accidents, that's all, he said. Nevea's acceptance was almost automatic. Sure, she said. But Inez shook her head. There's no way I'm letting that weirdo keep a gun. I know he didn't make the best choices right there, but I think he feels guilty, said Nevea. At Inez's questioning look, she continued. You probably would too if you had a weapon and failed to save your friends. But he protects us. He helped me when Cole broke his leg. He's not always like this. Besides, he clearly knows how to handle it. In a world of killer robots, it doesn't make sense to disarm our protector. I guess, Inez frowned. I'll hold off for now, but I'm telling Teddy. If Loki flips out again, we're taking it away from him. As Gabe shot a skeptical look toward the new guy, she added, you can trust Teddy. No offense, but we can't trust anybody, said Gabe. I trust Inez and Teddy, said Nevea. Life doesn't come without risk. He shrugged ruefully. I guess you're just stronger than I am. And that was the end of it. For the moment, anyway. Nevaeh couldn't sleep. All she had to do was push the button, and Carol would bring something to inject into her IV. Something that would make the world recede just long enough for her to get some rest. But she didn't want to do that. For once, Nevaeh wanted to sit around and feel sorry for herself. She'd kept a brave face when the crystals didn't work sat through the endless rounds of meditation exercises, 
and drank foul-smelling, and even worse-tasting teas, with supposed cancer-fighting properties. She'd visited healers who laid hands on her and murmured in weird languages. She dutifully turned on her mister at night, so her whole room smelled like oranges. That one she liked. The aromatherapy made her feel less like puking all the time. She sure felt like puking now. To be back in the hospital after all this time felt like defeat. What else could the doctors do that hadn't already been done? And even if they could save her, did she want them to? What kind of life did she have to go back to? Her friends were practically strangers now. She was so far behind in school that she'd probably just homeschool and get her GED. And then, what? She'd been sick so long that all her dreams of future careers and hobbies and romance had begun to fade into nothingness. She drifted in and out of consciousness that first night back on the inpatient floor. Once, she awoke to hear Dr. Singh's voice with its familiar melodic accent. Dr. Singh was a nice lady, and under most circumstances, Nevea would have been happy to catch up with her. But not now. Not tonight. So instead of opening her eyes to say hello, she kept them closed. They could visit later. It wasn't like Nevea was going anywhere. We can talk over your daughter's care plan once your husband returns, said the doctor. But if you have any questions in the meantime, I would be happy to answer them. I don't want a repeat of last time, replied Mama. I've been reading on the internet, and I have some thoughts on the treatment regimen. Let me find those papers. Nevea could hear the shuffling of papers underneath Dr. Singh's exasperated sigh. Please, she said. Let's wait until we can all sit down together. We'll have the people from Child Life Services come for a consult, and... You just don't want to hear what I have to say. I'm not stupid, just because I didn't go to a fancy medical school. That's not it at all. Dr. Singh's voice was calm and even, despite the fact that she must be frustrated. Nevea made a mental note to try that same measured speech the next time she got upset at Mama. But Mama wasn't hearing any of it. No amount of calm talking was going to sway her. I have some concerns about the side effects of this drug, she said. Let me look it up. You need to see this article that I found. I will look at it at the meeting if you like, said Dr. Singh. But right now, I'm going to examine Nevea. No, you'll look at these papers and... This is not about you. Dr. Singh's voice was insistent. Mama couldn't possibly ignore it. She fell into what felt to Nevea like a resentful silence. I understand that you have concerns, and I will do my best to address them. Then I would like the opportunity to tell you about the treatment options we have available. I will spend as long as it takes to talk them over with you. If it takes all night, then I will do that. At the meeting, when we have everyone present. I know you've done your reading, but there are a few exciting new experimental therapies that you might not have heard of. New poisons, you mean, muttered Mama. They're killing my daughter. No. Dr. Singh's voice had grown sharp. Nevea was doing just fine, until you removed her from the hospital against our recommendation. If she'd stuck with the treatments, the chances are very good that you'd have a daughter in remission right now, instead of a daughter in stage four. Now we have few options left. We will try. I will do everything I can, but you must already know that the prognosis is very bleak. This could all have been avoided, and that, more than anything else, is a pity. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have an exam to conduct. She heard the door open and close as Mama left, huffing in anger or tears. It was hard to tell which. 
but Nevaeh still didn't move. She had no words. So she kept her eyes closed through the entire thing. Dr. Singh took her blood pressure and checked her monitors, and the sound of her pen scratched against the chart. She didn't say anything more, but Nevaeh could feel her persistent anger. Even the sound of her pen was mad. Harsh. Abrupt. Like she wanted to tear a hole in the paper and scream. Or maybe that was just Nevaeh. Throughout the exam, Nevaeh feigned sleep, but she couldn't keep a tear from spilling over her closed lids and trailing down her cheek. Dr. Singh must have seen. She must have known Nevaeh was awake, but she didn't say anything. Not until the end, when she put a warm hand on Nevaeh's shoulder. I will fight for you, said Dr. Singh. Whatever you want, you tell me. If she opened her eyes, Nevaeh knew she was going to cry outright, so she answered only with the barest of nods. That seemed to be enough. Dr. Singh let herself out without another word, and then Nevaeh could let go. Her tears were silent, but no less intense than if she'd screamed aloud. She was so angry. At Mama, yes, but also at herself. She'd known that she belonged in the hospital. She'd known she was getting sicker. Every day brought with it just a little less energy, a little less clarity, a little less life. But the treatments Mama had found did help in some ways, and she'd allowed that to convince her. Told herself that feeling nauseous from the aromatherapy, or more awake from the light therapy, or whatever, meant that it was working. Because she didn't want to hurt her mother, who at the end of the day just wanted Nevaeh to get better. But her fear and stubbornness had probably killed Nevaeh instead. She loved Mama, but she hated her too. She hated herself for not standing up for what she wanted. And if she was going to die, she didn't want her last moments to be all angry and hateful. She wanted to be happy, singing, maybe playing a board game. But she didn't know if she was strong enough to forgive. Nevaeh slumped in a seat on the rumbling train. She'd hoped that with time, Loki would cool off and they'd be able to make some plans. But it had been a couple of hours, and he still hadn't budged from his spot next to the door. Not to get a drink, or even go to the bathroom. He had to be hungry and miserable, and she felt for him. He was angry, and looking for someone to blame. But the only people he could blame were the ones he was stuck with. That kind of thing could tear you up inside. Nevaeh knew that all too well. I'm going to talk to him, she said to May. May had slept until lunchtime, but looked like she hadn't rested in weeks. Her eyes were swollen and red, and she'd abandoned any attempts at her usual, relatively neat appearance. But despite her grief and fear, she could still be counted on to give a careful assessment to any problem, and she did so now. After a long moment, during which she gave the boy a critical look, she said, He still seems pretty angry. Why push it now? I don't know. It just bothers me, seeing him like that. Nevaeh tried to arrange her thoughts. Honestly, she didn't know why she couldn't let it rest. Maybe she just couldn't stand the thought that someone might be angry with her. Besides, shouldn't we be planning? We don't know when the train will stop, or what we'll find there. We should be prepared. May snorted. That's easier said than done. We have no idea what's waiting for us on the other end, and there's no way to prepare for that level of uncertainty, short of being well-rested and fed. I've been thinking we could order up a bunch of food from the hatch and refill our packs, but what else can we do? That's exactly the kind of thing I mean, 
said Nivea. So what do you need Loki for? We could come up with this stuff on our own, obviously. Yeah, but maybe... Nivea searched for a reason, unwilling to let it go. Maybe he'd have some idea about how to get through that last door at the front of the train that Hetty's been talking about. Loki kept up with Jingwei, didn't he? May pushed her overlong bangs out of her face, turning all her intense energy toward the problem. He did? So maybe he has some useful ideas. If that's what you want, I'd ask Umta. She knew enough about the technology here to get us down the stock. There's a decent chance she'd know how to fix it. Oh. The idea made sense, and maybe after Nevea opened the door, she could ask Loki to take a look at what was inside. That might work. Okay, so I'll go ask her, while you put your preparation plans in process. Everybody could use something to do right now, you know, said Nevea. Distraction is a good thing. Fair enough. I could see if Holden has any more ideas, too, May replied. I'm good at organizing things. At least, I was. Before. May's voice grew sad again, until she visibly shook herself out of her reverie. Nevea squeezed her shoulder before getting up to find Umta. She hadn't gotten out of her bunk yet. Even when Nevea had brought in some water and oatmeal slop. When Nevea entered the sleeping car, she found Umta already awake and with her hand in her mouth. The caretaker must have knocked some of her teeth loose, because Umta pulled one free with a grunt, examined it, and dropped it on the floor. I wish I had my first aid kit, said Nevea, even though there wasn't anything in that kit that would have fixed the loose teeth, or the purple, swollen eye. Moss, maybe. She'd heard about using it as a poultice, but had never had a chance to try it. Umta shrugged. It is nothing, she said. Thank you for the food. You will make a good umta someday. It felt like a compliment, so Nevea thanked her, even if she didn't exactly understand it. I can bring you more if you like, and I was wondering if you can help us. There's a hand scanner on one of the doors. Maybe you could take a look at it? No more food. Sleep. Umta lay back on her bunk again. Water, maybe. Okay. Maybe you could try the door after you wake up. Umta shook her head. Not me. Your hand. Only humans can open it, not me. Nevea frowned. She wasn't sure what Umta meant, but she could feel the sadness practically pouring off the strange little woman. She leaned forward to hug Umta, almost by instinct, but then she stopped awkwardly. Umta didn't really seem like the hugging type. We already tried that, she said instead. It doesn't do anything. Can you think of anything else? Umta shook her head. Might be broken. Sorry. Well, thanks anyway. I'll bring that water in just a minute. Umta didn't reply until Nevea was halfway out the door. You're welcome, she said softly. After Nevea brought Umta some water and checked on Cole, she went to Loki. He still sat in his position by the door unwilling to relax from his constant vigilance. As she approached, her eyes flickered over his jumpsuit, wondering about the gun Gabe had brought up. Did he have it on him at that very moment? Tucked on his person somewhere? Or maybe in the knapsack at his feet? She wasn't sure if that would make her feel more secure or less. He glowered at her, every line of his body making it obvious that she was both intruding and unwanted. What do you want? He demanded. I said I'm not hungry. 
She took a deep breath, summoning what she called her Dr. Singh voice, the one that couldn't be ruffled. I need your help to open a door. He made a rude noise. Sure you do. No, really. The hand scanner on the door to the cab won't open. I thought you might be able to fix it. He kept grumbling about it, but stood up and followed her through the furniture car. The strange interior didn't seem to weird him out. In fact, he barely even seemed to notice it. At the cab door, he took a moment to examine the broken panel and then scowled at her. This is some kind of trick, isn't it? Did you break the panel on purpose? Why would I do that? I don't understand what I did to make you so mad at me, Loki. You pretend to be all nice and crap, but you're just like everyone else, laughing behind your hand when you think I'm not watching. You think this is funny? You thought it would be just hilarious to play a prank on me. What's behind the door, huh? I know you were talking about me earlier. I'm not that blind. This is not a joke, Loki. I want your advice on what to do. You're the only one of us who took on a caretaker and won. Yeah, I'm a god, too. I know how this goes. You butter me up and then cut me down, he said bitterly. I've never been anything but nice to you. Luring me in to get me closer, right? But man, playing around like this after what happened to Jingwei and Wesley and all the others. It's like their deaths don't even matter to you. You're all, hey everybody, let's eat and drink and be merry. And who cares if a bunch of people just died? And while we're at it, let's mess around with Loki and laugh while he pisses his pants. You really are an insensitive bitch, aren't you? Nevaeh's hand cracked across his face. If she'd stopped to think for even a moment, she never would have done it. But she was beyond thinking. She was just angry. She had had it. There was a shocked silence. Then she said, That's enough. You have no idea what I've been through. Don't you ever, ever dare suggest that I don't care, just because I'm determined to pick myself up and move on. I'm not going to let anything bring me down. Not those caretakers, and not cancer, and certainly not you. Loki snorted. That's all great, but you've got it easy. It's hard to get mad at cancer. Cancer's not supposed to care about you in the first place. Just because I had a disease doesn't mean that people didn't let me down, she said quietly. He stared at her then. His cheek was red where she'd hit him. For a moment, it seemed like he was going to confide in her, maybe. She never would have thought it of Loki, who was always so calm and competent, even in the direst situation. But he looked broken. She actually reached out toward him without quite meaning to, and that motion broke the spell. He pulled away like she'd shocked him. Yeah, well, I still don't trust you, he said. His voice was harsh and unstrung, and for the first time, Nevea wondered about his past. They'd all died, of that she was pretty sure, even if some of the others thought differently. A lot of them had talked about it. She knew that May had gotten a bad allergic reaction, and Holden and Saya had been in a car crash, and there were a few others that she'd learned about. But she realized that she knew nothing about what had happened to Loki. She didn't even know if Loki was his real name or a nickname. It was silly to be nervous, but she was. He'd been one of the most helpful members of their ragtag group. He'd worked with Jingwei to create all kinds of useful things. He'd helped out when Cole got hurt. But he seemed like a different person now, changed by his anger. Or maybe this wild fury had been there all along, buried deep down. Now as she was being melodramatic, 
He would open the door and see that she'd been honest with him. What else did she think he was going to do? Get out the gun and start shooting? That was ridiculous. Her shaking hands? Also ridiculous. There was nothing to worry about. What's going on? Teddy's voice startled her. It came seemingly out of nowhere, and she wondered how she'd missed the sound of the door opening and closing behind her. But on the heels of her fright came an intense wave of relief. She didn't want to be alone with Loki right now. It wasn't fair or kind of her, she knew. She'd make up for it later. He deserved better treatment after all he'd done to help them survive. She was obviously shaken by everything that had happened and the uncertainty of what was to come, and that was making her imagine monsters where none existed. Poor Loki just happened to be the target. She smiled gratefully at Teddy anyway. I'm glad you're here. Can you tell Loki that the door really is jammed, and this isn't some nasty prank, she said. Of course it's not, Teddy replied, easy and confident. My imagination doesn't work that way. Huh? asked Nevaeh. Saying it doesn't make it true, muttered Loki. But he took a look at the panel anyway. I don't think I can fix this, not without the proper tools. Damn, said Teddy, that sucks. I wish Jingwei was here, added Nevaeh. Loki's face darkened. Her words had hurt him, and he immediately regretted them, but it was too late to take them back. Yeah, well, could Jingwei have done this? He asked. Then he pulled the gun out of the pack on his shoulder. He held it like he knew how to carry a firearm, careful not to point it at them. That was reassuring, but Nevaeh's heart still beat faster as she looked at the weapon. He pointed it at the door jam and squeezed off a shot. The retort echoed in the small space, hurting Nevaeh's ears. Nice shot, man, said Teddy. Loki gave him an uncertain look, like compliments were something he wasn't prepared to handle, and then shrugged. The doors all latch in about the same place. If my aim wasn't too far off, I should be able to push it open. He put his shoulder to the metal and shoved. It gave way with a protesting snarl of metal, and the three of them looked inside curiously. Beyond the door sat a smaller car, dominated by a large windshield. And Nevaeh could see the warped remains of some metal structure coming up on the right. A few pieces of machinery hissed and hummed off to either side of the windshield. She barely noticed any of those things. All she could see was the caretaker. It wasn't exactly the same as the caretakers she remembered vaguely from her dreams, before Umta took her down the stalk and she met all the others. Those were large and spider-like, with more arms than anything had a right to, and a small, insect-like head, dominated by inhuman red eyes. The caretaker she'd seen at the camp had seemed to fit the same bill, although she hadn't exactly stopped to give them a closer look. This one had the same basic shape. Big body, small head. But it was much smaller than the other ones had been. It would barely come up to Nevaeh's shoulder if she'd been brave enough to go near it, which she wasn't. It looked like its legs were folded up beneath it, so it was tough to determine its height after all. Another difference. This one didn't have any arms at all. One lone wire snaked out from its body to plug into the train. So maybe it didn't need them. Loki took one look at the caretaker and let out a startled bleat, pulling the gun back up to aim. Are you sure you should shoot it? She asked, worried. Isn't it driving the train? Dude, said Teddy. Don't. 
but Loki was too afraid to listen. His hand shook as he held the weapon out in front of him, and grief and terror twisted his face. Fucking murderer, he snarled. The caretaker moved. Its tiny head swiveled around, and the single red mechanical eye locked onto Loki. It began to rise up off its crouched legs. Loki stumbled backward with a shout of panic, just as she and Teddy started forward to pull him to safety. They collided, hard enough to snap Nevaeh's teeth together. The gun went off, maybe on purpose, and maybe by accident. It was hard to tell. The retort was sharp in the small space, stinging Nevaeh's ears. For one heart-stopping moment, she looked over Loki and Teddy, expecting to see a hole in one of them where no hole should be. They did the same to her. But all three of them were fine, and after a tense moment, they turned toward the caretaker. It sat slumped against the windshield. A bolt protruded from the single eye. What the hell? asked Teddy. I mean, nice shot, but... Are there any more of them? demanded Loki, the gun still in his hands. The two of them looked around, but the small space didn't afford many hiding spots. There were no other caretakers, but somehow that didn't make Nevea feel any safer. She shrank against the broken door, trying to quell the shaking in her hands. She'd been right all along about the caretaker in the cab, and look at the mess she'd gotten them into. Someone could have been hurt. Then Loki said, Well, I took care of that problem. That thing was about to rip our arms off. But Nevea wasn't so sure. She inched toward the disabled robot, trying to work up the nerve to touch it. Maybe if she did, it wouldn't haunt her dreams the way she expected it to. But she couldn't get up the nerve. All she could do was steel herself for the coming danger. The next robot, and the next. Because more of them were coming. It didn't take a genius to figure that out. Remade is a Realm original production. You're listening to Remade Season 1 by Carrie Harris. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, the podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. I bring you two episodes a week. Every Monday, I cover something from a wide variety of topics, covering everything from feminist faves throughout history like Audre Lorde, listener coming out stories, and other hot-button topics like toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement, as well as plenty feminist history, the good and the controversial. And then every Friday, I bring you a mini What's in the News episode to keep you up to date with everything that's going on today in the world. And with over 580 episodes available to you right now, there's plenty of good stuff to listen to. You can listen to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rage on. Bye. Remade is a Realm original production, created by Matthew Cody and written by Matthew Cody, Andrea Phillips, Carrie Harris, E.C. Myers, Kirsten White, and Gwenda Bond. Produced by Lydia Shama and executive produced by Julian Yap and Molly Barton. Starring Greg Tremblay and Laurel Schroeder. 
Audio directed, produced, and sound designed by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme composed by Amanda Rose Smith. Cover art by Liz Castle. Find more shows like Remade by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.